This is Paula Schmidt, and welcome to my theater of the mind, Evening's Kingdom, The Conversations. My guest today is Justin Aaron, a dear friend, poet, photographer, musician, and teacher. Justin served as Poet Laureate of Martha's Vineyard from 2017 to 2019, and he is the founder of Devotion to Writing, helping people around the world cultivate their daily writing practice and awaken creative abundance. If you're a writer also, I do recommend it to your attention. That's devotiontowriting.com. Be sure to check it out. Justin has published two poetry collections, A Strange Catechism, and A Machine for Remembering. His work has been exhibited at the Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art, set to music by Grammy Award-winning composers, commissioned by national dance theater groups and adapted and performed on stage. You can find him on justinaren.com, that's A-H-R-E-N, and also on Instagram, etc., via at Justin Aaron. We do take a moment to get going and have some audio excitements. My fault. True confession, I had to record some of it outside. I know, I know. But we really and truly get rolling as Justin shares a never-before-told story about the secret, parallel fantasy life that helped him survive a very tough childhood. So please stay with us. If you're an artist, there is a great deal for you here, especially as we discuss art as a coping mechanism, a lover, and ultimately, a spiritual practice. How to hold space for art while living life. The false tensions between the work we put on canvas and the creative work of our lives, which is my perpetual struggle. This is Paula Schmidt, and thank you for listening. And so, we begin, we continue. Justin, Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for making time for this today. It's my pleasure, Paula. Thank you for having me. So what are you working on these days? Um, I have gotten into doing uh, aerial photography, drone photography, and also using satellite technology to take photographs of the Earth. And so I... I guess I've been kind of immersed in that project of looking at the earth from say miles above or at least several hundred feet above. Mm. And what I've discovered um, is, uh, you know, these fascinating and powerful geometries and also the way that human beings, um, you know, in their work with the earth create these, I think, larger patterns and beauties and art forms that we're not really conscious of down here on the ground. But when you see it from the earth and the way from up above the earth and the way that, um, you know, say like agriculture or current, my current project is, has to do with uh, salt works um, and just the way that we work on the land and this kind of uh, grand beauty that is made out of that, that I don't think we're, we're fully conscious of um, because we, we don't have the perspective. Yeah. The, the colors, I was really enjoying your colors on justinaren.com. That very first one, especially of the salt works, where you can yes. see that little pop of emerald. It's hypnotic. It's fascinating. Yes, it's fascinating. I started to take these photos kind of, um, it was very random. It wasn't a project that I had in mind. I, I, until, until this project, I was only doing black and white photographs. 
And I was doing landscapes, but kind of traditional things. And then when COVID lockdown happened, I wasn't able to travel. I was walking my dogs every day around um, where I live. And I started to see tree trunks, you know, these sections of trees that had been cut. And I started to photograph those. And strange as that might seem, it was <laughs> a kind of a portal into these like galaxies and universes. And I think uh, that kind of going in close to something and seeing something so distant uh, was, I guess it kind of led me into one day I was feeling kind of restless uh, and I wanted to, um, my idea was to go to West Texas and take photographs, to drive to West Texas and take photographs, but the lockdown eliminated that project. Uh, And so I thought I will do, I'll do research and I'll, go on Google Maps and, you know, kind of see where these uh, fracking areas are. That's really what I wanted to document was the fracking. And, um, and that, again, to me, in my mind was black and white and gritty and oily and, um, you know, smelly. And uh, I was kind of interested in seeing what this kind of degradation that was documenting this degradation that was going on in the environment. So, but when I flew over top using Google Earth, flew over top of these areas and started to see this beauty. It was striking and so ironic because here I thought I was going to be finding, you know, things that were quite destroyed. And um, it was quite by accident that I was finding these uh, irrigation, you know, patterns made by irrigation and cattle crossing the, the, um, the arid land, the paths that the cattle tracks made and, um, it was a wonder and, and, and it suddenly it was in color was the other thing. It was as if I stepped, you know, from Kansas to into Oz, everything was instant color. And it really transformed. I think the way I was, it, it did transform the way I was looking at things. They're just gorgeous. I absolutely love them. Adventures in perspective. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, very cool. Well, so I was going to ask if you tend to begin with the end in mind, but it sounds like it just unfolds for you as you're going. Absolutely. I very rarely know what I'm working on. Um, I have only, say, a feeling or maybe some images in my head, and but very rarely understand what it is. And I can work sometimes for years before I understand what it is. So for example, when I was writing uh, for poetry, it is always the case. I very seldomly know what I'm writing in a poem or even a collection of poems until I've written a very long time. My first collection, A Strange Catechism, I worked on for two and a half years. And I realized at the end of that two and a half years of writing that what I was writing about was uh, the death of my brother. Um, and I think that if I had known that I was going to write about that at the beginning, I wouldn't have been able to write about it. Uh, it was certainly a subject that I had never tried to take on in art or in writing. Yeah. And I think my way of being able to write about it was to kind of um, take a detour around <laughs> behind and, and write all of this material and then understand, oh, I'm writing about this, you know, very traumatic event in my, in my childhood. And, uh, but this is, you know, kind of the way that I was able to write through it and about it. 
That's lovely. I, I'm sorry, though, for the loss of your brother. Well, that's okay. It was a very long time ago. Could I ask, how do you hold a state of mind and a sense of patience for a project if you're not sure where it's going, just to let it develop? Like, how do you, how do you keep space for that? Because for me, I find like I, it's almost like being pregnant, I guess, and you're always a bit preoccupied. And I, and I want to get away from that and live my life while I'm also working deeply on a project. And I, I, I don't know, maintaining that state of mind while still living your real life and being a part of your relationships. Do you know what I mean? Well, that, there are two questions there, I think. Uh-huh. Uh, one is, I think I hold that space because I'm trying to understand what it is that I'm doing. Mm. Uh, I love the sculptor Alberto Giacometti. Many of you, many of your listeners, uh, and you may know his work. He's famous for kind of the elongated, kind of very nervous looking uh, bronze figures uh, that he made. And he said famously that he he sculpted in order to learn how to sculpt. (sighs) I Um, love that. For me... I feel like whatever it is that is kind of nervous inside of me, this energy that is trying to become form, I'm learning about what that is I'm, as if it's another, you know, it's a thing that's becoming. So I don't really know. Um, I guess I, when I'm making, I, I don't, I, I can hold that space because I'm, I don't know what it is. And I'm, I'm, I'm interested in knowing, getting to know it. And that takes time. Um, yeah. There's another really wonderful quote by Georgia O'Keeffe, which she said about her making art and especially about flowers and painting flowers. And she says that, it, you know, to, to know a flower and to paint it, it takes a long time. Like to have a friend takes a long time. And oh. I think about that with the, my art. It's like it, I'm a, I, I am becoming, it is becoming, and it's, it's a relationship that I'm, I'm willing to take time with to understand that's glorious. That's absolutely glorious. It's like a, a different species of curiosity. And, and I apologize for the sound in the background. We are actually traveling, and this is the only quiet location, and there are some kids next door. I love it. It doesn't bother me at all. I have two kids myself, so fine. Lovely. Yeah. yeah, but the second, yeah go ahead. The second part of your question, I think, had to do with um, maybe others. Other, other people in relationship with me? Um, uh, maybe I didn't hear that correctly. But. Well, I stumbled over the question, but, you know, I've been really working on, when I was younger, I had a pen name that was different from my real name. And so my writing was sort of a refuge from my reality. And I realized just over time, right? I didn't recognize that I was doing this until recently. Like, I'm embracing life as art and art as life and not one in exclusion of the other, which was how I'd always lived. And it makes, it adds this tension. And then, you know, your, your real life is fighting for your attention and vice versa all the time. It's not very sustainable. And the point of art, I think is, is life, you know, they shouldn't be in conflict. They, they're, they're a beautiful, they're a weaving and an exploration. I love so yeah, I, I, thank you. I just I'm curious how other 
artists do it because I've met your family. You have a beautiful family, a beautiful life, and everything that you do seems art. It is an extension of you in a really natural way, but it seems effortless. Well, I thank you for that. I don't think that it, it certainly isn't effortless. You know, I, this is a, such a rich topic of discussion. It, it also intersects for me my, my work, my teaching work, which is devotion to writing. That there, to me, there is no separation between um, our creative work that we the work, say, we put on paper or on canvas or on film and the creative work of our lives. Our lives are creations. We mm. are actively creating our lives with every thought, every word, every action that we take. And so our lives are art forms. Also, creation itself, creation with a capital C, uh, is constantly moment to moment being reborn and and made into something new and so i don't think there is any separation between our lives and art and the art and creation of the whole of this mystery or god x as you say i love did you invent that <laughs> i did i did it is genius oh um, thank you <laughs> it's I had genius a lot of fun. <laughs> uh I, there's no, I don't think there's separation. And, you know, I, I have been aware, if you don't mind me digressing into a story Please. from my childhood. Oh, yeah. I think I, I have been aware of this possibility of, of my own intimate involvement in the creation of my life since I was a very young child. I think I became, at a young age, I think I became quite conscious of the power of art of especially storytelling language to um, kind of shape my life. And when I was so about seven or eight, I guess, I think was the time I know it was 1978. So I would have been eight. My life before that for the say up until that time, we I won't go into detail about it, but it was a, it was a, um, it was pretty chaotic childhood. Mm. So I think for me as a way to understand and control those, those events, I may, I started to make up an imaginary world. And in that imaginary world, uh, there was a narrative going on and, um, and it's almost, it's a little embarrassing even for me to say, but the imaginary world was this uh, football, American football league that I played in. And uh, it, for a long time, I wouldn't tell anybody this cause it's embarrassing. I, I felt embarrassed about it. Uh, but anyway, so yeah. be it. Uh, I, I played in this imaginary football league. What I didn't understand at the time was I had also created a history of this football league and of my career in this football league that really paralleled my personal life. And as I got older, when I got older and I started to write about what I was doing, I realized these parallels. So, for example, uh, one particular year, 1975, uh, was a very unstable year 
My parents were separated when I was 18 months old. And I lived with my mother till I was five. And then my father, then we were sent to live with my father. And when I look back at the history of that football league, 1975 was the year that the team I was imaginarily on uh, didn't win a single game. And I took the blame because I was the quarterback for all of the defeats. And then the following year I was traded (laughs) to another team, which coincided with me moving back with my mother, who at that point had met her future husband, my stepfather. And that team that I was traded to ended up winning the championship. Uh Um, You know, I, I, again, I wasn't really conscious of it at the time Mm -hmm. um, that I had developed this history that was a parallel to my life. But then in the present of 1978, I was actually playing out the games and narrating them as I was playing them. So throwing the ball to myself, running in the field, tackling myself, you know, getting up, going back to the huddle, starting the plays again, and actually playing out all of these games. That's incredibly and cinematic. It was... May, may I, go okay. ahead, yes. No, please. May I, may I ask, how did you define the beginning and the endings of the games? Because it sounds like they were discreet from each other. <laughs> Everyone had the ball, each team had the ball four times. And that, and that would be the game. So you really couldn't score more than, say, 28 points if you scored a touchdown every time. Um, what a mind you have. That's, <laughs> that's so, that's beautiful. And, and it's, uh, it's also heartrending to think well, about you just to be like, I lost, I lost, I lost. You know what was, well, and that's the thing is I didn't always win. Right. And I think about that as me, of, I think about what is that in me that didn't need to win all the time, but was willing to suffer not winning. Mm. And then for the delay of winning later, for the greater joy of a later accomplishment. (laughs) And the other, the real heartbreaking thing was I did this for say 78 till about 1982. So however many years, this is four or five years, I would play these seasons out with all these teams. So we're talking hundreds of games that I would play. And um, it ended because around the time I was 12, 11 or 12, I became conscious of people watching me. Oh my goodness. So you weren't on TV in your mind. This was a secret game. Yeah. Well, I was playing in the open in the fields, but in behind my house, but I never, I didn't care if anybody saw me running and tackling myself and I didn't care. But at that age, I think, you know, right around puberty, I started to be aware of the outside world watching and I stopped. I didn't want to stop. I wanted to continue, but it just became impossible to disappear into that, into that, um, fully disappear into that realm. I mention all of this because I think as an artist, my struggle has been to recapture that place that I, I had innately. And I think all of us have innately to imagine our lives, to create our lives, to dream, and to fully go into that, uh, those arenas of our lives. Um, what a gift that you could create that in your mind for yourself. I, I agree that we have that naturally within us, but so much about modern life 
it drowns it away. What a refuge, too. Do you, you must have missed it profoundly when you felt like you couldn't go there any longer. Uh, I think when that started to go away, I began to find writing and music, specifically music. I started to write music. And uh, I think that was a way that I could go into, you know, into the interior realms and make. Uh, so I had a replacement for, for the football, for the football league uh, through music. And then later, you know, much later poetry, not until I went to college was I, did I start to write poetry. Well, I'm, I'm glad for the rest of us that you, you changed over, you changed your paths. <laughs> Thank you. Would you say that you live a balanced life, art, family, wellness? I think I do the best I can do, but there are certainly pressures of raising kids and mm -hmm. operating a business and trying to give myself enough time and space to create. And that, that sometimes falls through the cracks. I do have a daily practice. So, you know, I, I at least get to the page um, daily. It's not always as long as I would like it to be, but, um, but I show up for myself um, on a daily basis. I get up before I have to start my business. So I have a landscaping business. Mm -hmm. And so we start work at 7.30 and I get up um, at six and I have a routine of, you know, doing a little meditation, getting my coffee, sitting down in my favorite chair. And I have my journal and my computer and a pile of books that I'm you know, <laughs> kind, of, kind of inspired by at that moment. I always have a stack of books. And uh, I spend then, you know, my morning writing. And then at 7.30, I have people that I work with and they, I get them going. And then I usually can return for, you know, a, a, a brief amount of time um, to kind of finish up whatever I was working on. But at least I have, you know, a solid hour in the morning to get my thoughts down, process things, work on my manuscript. Um, and if I have more time, then I'll come back to it. But at least I have that time devoted in the morning that I, that is, is, is a wonderful routine. Yeah. There's something about coffee that I think really helps anchor that morning routine, right? <laughs> I wouldn't write without it. I know I've, I've experimented with cutting coffee out and, you know, then I deepen into my meditation or yoga practice in the mornings instead, but there's something about it. It just unleashes. <laughs> I don't know. I'm grateful for it. I know it's addiction. It's an addiction. And I'm comfortable with that because I'll pay the price. Well, what about your wife? Does she have a writing practice as well? Does she support yours or does she feel, you know, some partners, there's resentment. They feel like the time for the art takes away from their experience with you. Yeah. She's incredibly supportive. It's not hasn't always been easy because we have we well our kids are older now, but raising kids certainly was an added dimension of responsibilities. Yeah, um, but she's incredibly supportive of my art. Um, she's a very creative person. She's been painting recently, but before that, she was a dancer. Um, but you know. My feeling about art is it's like having another lover or another marriage, another, a consort 
that mm-hmm. that requires our affection and our attention. And that is a difficult balance. And I want to give my full attention to the people in my life, my children, my family, my friends, my wife, my work, my pets, and my art. There are a lot of things to give attention to. And I, what, what really frustrates me, talk about imbalance, what really frustrates me um, is, and what I struggle with is when I don't feel like I'm able to give my attention to to the, any one of or a number of those things talk about like something that can trigger me um uh that that will do it i i don't like i don't like that uh feeling or the idea that i'm not able to and uh, give my attention but it happens and it happens frequently <laughs> to you know to maybe i don't walk my dogs for days or mm-hmm. uh you know i don't you know listen to my wife when she has something to tell me or I don't sit and have a conversation with my kids. So, you know, there are a number of ways I constantly have to bring myself back to, to attention. I do feel that the more I give um, to my art, the more I feel open and generous to the other people and things in my life. When I am not giving myself that space and time that I need, to sink into myself. I don't have it. Even if I show up for them, I'm somewhere else. Mm. So I have to process all the things that are going around in my mind and all my emotions. I have to give those a form or when I'm with other people or trying to work, I'm really not there. I'm, you know, I'm, I have ideas and I, um, I'm just kind of closed up. I know when I've really worked creatively, I know when I've really gone deep because I sing for the rest of the day. (laughs) I can identify. It's, (laughs) it's a high (laughs) and you know, it does, it's deeply nourishing. And I guess it's always the question of balance because if you open yourself up to it too much, this, this other lover, this other world, then you disappear too much for the rest Mm -hmm. of your life, but just the right amount, that sweet spot. And then you're your best self for everything. Sure. That's lovely. Um, I, you know, cause there are certainly many examples of artists and musicians, et cetera, who have, you know, lost themselves in their art. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they can't do anything, but, um, yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I think our culture celebrates that myth to a problematic extent because the fullest expression of your humanity is when you're doing these things in addition to your job and your relationships it we need it and so if we only recognize artists as people who are self-destructive and can't practice their art forms without torching everything else in their lives i mean Mm -hmm. we torch our humanity i think we we just love seeing these trajectories of people who rise to astonishing heights and then self-destruct and we don't you know talk about we don't have these boring conversations like how do you make it work like how can somebody achieve their goals on multiple fronts you know or i talked to pat about goals and how to get away from having the goal-oriented mindset i struggle with that because i'm personally i'm in tension right now where work is really really crazy and i haven't had the time to write so i'm like i'm drinking from your cup like tell me how you do it <laughs> uh, you know 
I, I hear so, I relate to so much in what you're saying and the myth of the artist. I think I have for most of my life, I've probably chased that. Like I wanted to be that, like I wanted to have that rock star artist life. Yeah. I kind of wanted to, you know, burn out and, you know, buy my art. Um, and yet all along within me, there is this like lovely and always has been real deep kind of this ballast uh, that I have which is more like, I want the quiet, I want the, I want the like meditative, mm. you know, I want my art to come from a deep place of kind of contemplation and stillness, not, you know, raging around, frenetic, um, fast living. And yet I feel at times that if I lived that way, that maybe I would get more out of, I would get every last ounce of, <laughs> energy out of it you know like even with this this photographic project like i i wonder am i getting everything out of it i can like if i if this is all i did i could get more <laughs> and then there's the other part of me that says it's enough it's enough uh, so i don't know i don't it answers know. you yeah. well you know the the quiet the nourishing aspect of that really comes through your work your poetry your music your photography you know, you, you witness, I witness your work and it makes me drop into my deeper self. Like it, you do a beautiful job of getting through the words. You sort of, you deepen beneath the words in a delicious way. You write about in your photography, the aliveness of the dunes themselves, the great soft bodies, thighs, backs, and bellies. And I don't know, just even those words, you're just sinking down to this other level of consciousness. I love. I wrote that? I don't you even wrote remember. That. You wrote that. <laughs> you must be under a, a self-hypnosis when you're, that happens to me too. The best stuff, you don't even remember where it came from. So you get to see it freshly too. <laughs> it's, it is, it's like Groundhog's Day sometimes for me. In, you know, the movie where you wake up with the same day every day. I, but you don't, I don't know if that actually analogy even works. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes people, yeah, I, you read that to me or someone points something, you know, send something that they found of mine. And I'm, I don't really recall mm -hmm. it, but I know I was with it at the time and that's okay. It's like a breathing in and breathing out. Mm. And, I, and, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, like our lives can be and are works of creation. And I feel, you know, that is what my goal is, is that my life is a conscious creation that I'm creating, the, I'm shaping the life that I, I would like consciously through my actions and my words and my thoughts uh, and in, um, in communion with the greater power mystery that is at work in my life. Um, those things, you know, I can't control that. There's something much greater than, than myself um, in, at play. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to kind of commune with that energy um, and be of service to that energy. You mentioned a story you wanted to make sure that we discussed, uh, a woman turning counterclockwise in the parking lot mm. and how she led to the creation of your first collection of poetry. Well, so this 
uh, woman I'd never met, but I was in Key West, Florida, about 2012, 2013, and went to the grocery store and standing at the edge of the parking lot where there was this woman turning counterclockwise in a circle, very slowly turning in a circle. And I thought, well, immediately I was interested in who, who she was. Who is she? Why is she there? And the next day, I think I had to go back and forgot something, whatever. I had to go back to the grocery store and she was there again and doing the same thing, turning <laughs> counterclockwise in a circle. And I went home and I started to write at first just questions. Talk about not knowing what you were going to, what a project might be. You know, I didn't have any intention of writing a book. I, I just had questions. Why is she there? What happened to her? What is she doing? And at first, the first idea was that, you know, this kind of, it comes out of chaos theory, the idea that, you know, it's a kind of a small, seemingly insignificant action, like a butterfly flapping its wings in the jungle, you know, cascades down the line and weeks later, a tornado spawns in, you know, the plains. And so that was my first idea that she was there with this kind of turning counterclockwise thinking, uh, you know, I have to turn counterclockwise so that it will rain or so that the sun will rise. And around the same time, this is like, a, uh, this just comes in. I had this really wonderful friend and teacher. Fortunately, he passed away a few years ago, but he challenged me to write every day. I was struggling really as an, I felt uh, I was very frustrated as an artist and I just, just didn't seem like anything was materializing for me. And I was at a very stuck place. And uh, I called him one day from work and I just said, I can't keep doing this. My life, I need, you know, I need something has to change. And, and he said, you need to write every day. You keep telling me you, you want to write, you want to write. I want you to write every day. And if you can't write every day, then give it up. It's a fantasy. And all it's doing is keep making you miserable. You're suffering. So, whether it was to prove him wrong or whatever it was, I started to write every day in large part because I saw this woman in the parking lot in Key West and I had all these questions. But what I started to do was I turned this into kind of a writing prompt. And I would just say, when I wanted to write daily, I would just start on the first day of turning in the parking lot. And then I would write. And then the next day on the second day of turning in the parking lot and so on and so forth. And then I was just inventing numbers, like on the 237th day of turning in the parking lot. But what this did for me was just broke the silence of the page. And I was already, be, you know, I'd already something, I had something to begin with. And then whatever came, I just let that flow. And I was able to answer kind of, you know, who she was, what she was doing. Um, I was able to write through her. And then two and a half years later of writing, is when I realized that what I had been writing about all along was about my mother and about the death of my brother and about myself as a little boy. And that time in our lives um, was really through this muse, this woman, um, <laughs> and having to answer these questions and the daily practice of, you know, not knowing what I was writing and not concerned about what it was, but really just kind of feeling my way through it and and being consistent 
And eventually it all became very clear. And the book became A Strange Catechism, which was published and um, was my first collection. Did you ever speak to the woman in the parking lot? Never. But a couple of years later, I ran into her inside the grocery store. Um, and her new thing or th thing at that time was to go to the section of olive oils in the grocery store and stand in front of the olive oils. I don't know why, but that, you know, that she was kind of locally famous, I guess. I mean, people yeah. knew that she, you know, she had different places and different things that she would do per periodically changing, but um, kind of consistent in her, <laughs> whatever it was that she was, you know, needing to, to do to make her feel, um, I don't know, to whatever she was feeling, but to make her uh, able to exist. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've not been to Key West, but I loved uh, Harmony Kareen's movie, Beach Bum. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it made me I, I was really intrigued it sounds like a special place I love it it is a special place yeah well worth a visit yeah someday so in a way she helped you form your devotion to writing workshop absolutely she did yes she did and around that same time in addition to my friend I met a group in Italy a group of people called themselves art monks. And they really practice this kind of idea of, you know, art as prayer, art as devotion. Um, and so kind of inspired, they inspired my own thinking. And again, you know, there's that place in me that has always been drawn. You ask, um, well, I've always been drawn to just kind of the contemplative, a contemplative approach, a and fascinated by people who can work every day, fascinated by people who are called, not just artists, but people who are called to, you know, support a movement or um, people who are called to any kind of vocation and just can become that. It's so fascinating to me. And I, I always feel like I want to be better at it. I always want to be more, I want to loot you know what it boils down to? I want to kind of lose myself in, in creation. I, mm. I mean, my ultimate now talk about something that's embarrassing to talk about, but I would love, I would like to dissolve into the, into life, into, you know, to, to the mystery, to the, to God, to the universe. Um, I, that's a, such a strange thing to discuss because you know, I, I, I'm so attached to the personal as well, to myself, to this physical Justin that I am, but I'm not, I'm, I, I also have had this insights that I'm not that, that, that's limiting. I'm more than that, but to go beyond that is to lose this physical persona. And that's a scary possibility. But isn't it thrilling too? It is. I live for that. I live for that feeling. And then maybe that's this false tension that I feel, the siren call to our, our smaller personal selves, which are still important personas, but they're just a persona. I don't know. It's all so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it, this, is, this is our big poetry practice. We don't know. We don't know where it's going. Then we get to find out maybe when we die. 
Well, you write, um, you write an evening's kingdom that, you know, that which we seek is also seeking us. Mm. And that gives me such pleasure to think that I am being called to seek something and it's seeking me. When I heard that, I, you know, I replayed that part to hear it again a couple of times just because it, it was so beautiful to, to contemplate. And I, you know, I think I wrote to you perhaps in an email or text that that idea for me is this experience of um, there's a beauty that sees me that I see through the beauty that I perceive there's a beauty seeing me and that that whatever that is that thing that is seeking me that we are also seeking that I am also seeking that's what I want union with I think you already have it oh do you know the writer the Brazilian writer Clarice Lispector I don't oh my you need to you need to find her will you spell her name yeah it's uh l-i-s-p-e-c-t-o-r specifically the book the passion according to g-h the passion according to g-h yes i mean she went deep in her art and brought back into language and story form um, experience of the, uh, the divine that I have never seen written. And it's fascinating. So I wanted to share a quote with you because it's kind of from the book, because it reminds me of um, what we're, it is what we're talking about. But she says, um, creating isn't imagination. It's taking the great risk of grasping reality. Oh. I saw. I know oh my it God. goes on. It goes on. I'm falling I, over. <laughs> I saw and was frightened by the brute truth of a world whose greatest horror is that it is so alive that in admitting I'm a I'm gonna start over because I need to enunciate this. Do you mind? No. Okay. Creating isn't imagination. It's taking the great risk of grasping reality. I saw and was frightened by the brute truth of a world whose greatest horror is that it is so alive that in admitting I'm as alive as it is, and my worst discovery is that I am as alive as it is. I shall have to heighten my consciousness of exterior life until it becomes a crime against my personal life. Oh, that's astonishing. Yes. Wow, what a, what a witness. <laughs> yeah. I love, I love that she's gone there because sometimes when you really touch it, the deeper, larger self that I think we're all part of, you just, you feel like, abandoning words and image making and just, I don't know, just radiating there. I mean, that would be, that would be the real art form, right? Just to, just to be, 
really deeply. I need to make or create or, or even communicate beyond with just your presence. I think that's probably uh, what we're trying to do. It's such an irony, isn't it? It is. But it, it's, I, I absolutely love like the physical acts of bringing it all together, you know, editing and writing and thinking, pulling these threads together, making these nests and ideas. But mm. it, is, it is that small persona again. Talking uh, to you is a bit hypnotic. I think your meditation practice is is coming into me. I'm like, oh, I don't even need to write. <laughs> just, well, it's so just it's, well. We are. We do. We still do. We do. We do. I would be insane. Do. I think if I didn't write. Unless you got to that place where it just became being. Yeah. yeah. Well, you help me. You help me touch it. Pretend that I don't need that. I'm not. Yeah. Well, but, your book, I mean, <laughs> if we can talk about Evening's Kingdom, just that, you know, listening to that, that experience brought me to that place so many times. There's such <gasps> deep wisdom in that, in this story. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite, quite a beautiful story. I'm so very, feel so very blessed to have listened to it. Thank you so much. I, you're, you, you wrote me a very kind message the other day and it meant so much to me and then it's interesting because, you know, I wrote it, I guess, about two years ago, books one and two, and now I'm in the process of recording them. And I'm in such a different place. And I, I don't know that we can entirely uh, accept full credit for the work that we make. I was deeply inspired by something outside myself that I'm not with in the same way all the time like I can still go there but I was living so deeply inside that I know it was such a gift she she came to me Uma came to me (laughs) talk about vulnerability during an ayahuasca ceremony and I went I went uh I submitted to ayahuasca for completely unrelated reasons just working through some really difficult times in my life and while I was there, you know, ayahuasca is just love. I believe she is absolutely a deity. And she gave me so much healing and took away a lot of fears and sadness immediately. And then I, <laughs> I might edit this out, but maybe I won't. I incarnated as Uma. And it was really confusing afterwards because I was talking to the, the healers who held space for us during the ceremony and they're like, well, do you want us to call you Uma? And I was like, no, I don't know what's going on. I just wanted to talk to you about it. You know, and then a little bit later I wrote to us like, oh, it's a book. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very strange but beautiful experience. I learned, I am learning so much from it. But it was definitely, I, I don't know if you ever have this where poems, where you just have your hand up and something comes and you can catch it down. You can devote, you know, a month or a decade to transcribing this thing from something outside yourself, or you can let it go and it'll hit someone else. And you do. I've heard other people talk about this. You see that same idea that's come through someone else and you hear about a movie or a book. It's like, Oh my God, I caught that for a second. And then I, you know, I couldn't answer it or whatever it was. It's just, Whatever's going on is is so humbling, so exciting. 
well, there's a lot in what you just said. The last part kind of going back from, you know, the end to the beginning, but the, the, the last part, I do think that there are ideas that are coming through the world uh, in, they want to be form. And uh, there are many, there are many people who can give it that form. And, mm. you know, if we're nominated as one, then we either bring it into form or, or if we don't, it moves on to someone else. I have, or maybe, you know, it's moving on to a lot of people anyway, and we either do with it or don't. But I have had that experience where I'm thinking of something and then I, you know, it starts to, I see it everywhere or I notice it, or maybe it's just, you know, when we start to pay attention to something, we notice it in other places. But, um, but I do think that energies move in and they want to manifest. And if it comes through us, that's one expression. Um, and if we don't, it moves on certainly and is expressed elsewhere. It's so um, much fun. It is so, so much, fun. much fun. And the, uh, another thing that you had said before that about, you know, these energies too, I do think that there's a time that the energy that we have with the energy or with an image or a story or idea. And once that time runs out, the, I think that the energy just dissipates its energy. And mm. so there's a time for it. And that's how I usually know when I'm, when a project is done for me, I feel the energy going. And, um, you know, that's kind of when I start to get desperate to give it a form because mm. I know once it's out of me, I'm not that interested anymore. I don't even know I was there a lot of times. Like you said that you read what I had written about the dunes um, in New Mexico. I mean, I was there. And I had energy for that. And I'm sure I burned with that energy. But when it was done, it was done. And I was done with it. And I don't go back. <laughs> I don't go back to it. Um, and so when, I'm, when I feel the energy waning, which you know I'm feeling for my current project now, I'm desperate to give it a form because I, once it's gone, I, I'm, I'm going to be on to something else anyway. You know, Something else is going to be uh, rolling through me that needs, it needs me to express it. So absolutely. Mm. <laughs> wow. What an amazing experience. You know, I've been tempted to not, not even tempted. I think I'm consciously, I'm open, receptive now to um, kind of some shamanic experience, whether I go seek one out like a course or teacher, uh, or, you know, I just am open to having it having one for myself i don't know but I, I i am i feel like that's one new energy that's kind of entering my own um consciousness at the moment oh that's thrilling it does it does call you uh so it sounds like that's with you now i'm mm -hmm. excited for you mm -hmm. there's also things you can do with breath work mm -hmm. you know might be interesting to explore that before plant medicines yeah. uh, okay what do you wish more people understood about you? I found that interesting. I find that interesting question because I don't really care <laughs> if people understand me, I guess. And it's not that I don't want, I feel fairly transparent. I feel like I'm pretty open with people. And so in that regard, I feel like when I present to, to, to people that I meet and friends that I'm, I'm kind of 
I'm willing to be vulnerable with them. I'm willing to kind of meet them where they are. I'm willing to listen. The things that they might not understand, I don't know that I can control that anyway. And so mm. I don't think I've given a lot of, really a lot of thought to, I really wish someone understood how I feel about poetry or I wish people got, you know, that when I say this, I mean this. Yeah, I don't, I don't give a lot of, I guess I don't give a lot of energy to what, how people might understand me better. I don't even understand me that well. So. Yeah. <laughs> Other people are going to understand me any better. It's freeing to not care. I, I'm indifferent to that also, but we're also very verbal. Mm-hmm. So maybe not so much an issue. That's a, it's a lucky thing though. Cause for people who feel like there's, I would imagine it's like having a rock in your throat and you don't have the words to be understood. Mm-hmm. I've been learning the tiniest bit of Spanish and, and I love it. And it's very, very humbling to know what you want to say and not be able to say it because I can't remember having that experience. You know, I, uh, I never really would have put that together about the verbal. Um, yeah. Wow. I guess that, you know, not every, yeah, it's, my son is not very verbal. He he's very eloquent, but it takes him a very long time to say anything. He's like the earth. He just he thinks and speaks very slowly. And I think people lose uh, they lose uh, attention. You know, they they lose attention. They stop paying attention to him before he finishes his ideas. Oh and gosh! Just what with you just saying that, I'm I'm wondering how he might feel about answering that same question. How does he most like to be with people? He can just be with people and not say a word. That's cool. Yeah. Ah. Hey, he's a you know, deep, deep kid. <laughs> yeah. The having, usually if you're super verbal, it takes a while to get to that point in a relationship where you're just like side by side, like super happy. Cause there's so much to say, but once you go, he's already there. What a neat kid. I, um, <clears throat> excuse me. When I met him, he was really young. So, you know, kids are quiet at the dinner table. They were neat people, though. <laughs> well, he's 19 now, and she's, my daughter is 22. <laughs> <laughs> what a time in life. Oh, what a time. I'm yeah. glad I'm not there. <laughs> well, and then talk about, you know, in a liminal space now, where like that threshold of, you know, raising kids. You know, mm. that life that we did for all these years is, you know, you're always a parent, but, um, but it's changed. It is changing. So we're, my wife and I are in very different space than we, we were just a few years ago. Yeah. You get to fall in love with each other as totally new people, mm-hmm. figuring out who you are and who you might want to be after all. And yeah. we have all these friends that have very young children right now. And so, I don't think they would mind my saying this, but it's almost like they're losing themselves and having to give up. They have to let go of their individual selves for an indeterminate amount of time. And we all had kids later. And so it's really hard because you're, you know what a Saturday morning used to be like, (laughs) you know, it's interesting to watch because we don't have children and we're considering maybe not having children. It's a very different shape to the life. It is. Yeah. It certainly is. Mm. 
I'm glad I have those two people, I have to say. Uh, my life would, my personally, my life is for, you know, despite all of, you know, the sacrifices, my life would be, uh, would not have, would not be as rich if they were not here. That's lovely. My next question is, mm -hmm. what is your strongest compass, intuition, logic, or desire? But I should also mention, like, maybe your children provide a, a sense of compass as well. I have to say intuition. I'm not very logical. I'm not very planned. I really, maybe desire too, like very passion. Uh, I am, I do get passionate about things. And those are the things I tend to, I, I just throw myself into. But the intuition, I think this goes back to what I said about my art making. It's like, I have a feeling or I have a, I, a picture that I want to get to. And that, you know, I, I rely on just kind of intuition to, to arrive. You know, how do I get there? Not logical at all in how to get there. So um, yeah, I'm going to have to say intuition. So instead of questions, you'd be asking yourself to make an important decision. It might be like feeling tones. So when I started Noepe Center, which is how I met you, <laughs> luckily, you know, I only knew that I had just finished graduate school. I had uh, MFA in my MFA in creative writing and I came back to the vineyard. I had two small children and I thought, you know, I really want that writing community that I had in graduate school. I didn't know how to make it. Logically, I probably could have come up with something. But what I could see very clearly was a dinner table with writers around it having a meal. And I thought, I, I'll just, I, I want to create that. That's what I want. And the rest of it, again, I think what we seek, as to go back to your quote, what we seek is also seeking us. I think that intention, within days, literally of days of kind of coalescing that idea, I want I want that, and I want that on Martha's Vineyard where I live. Uh, a wonderful person entered my life who has become a dear friend and and patron. Uh, she approached me and she said, "I have this." bed and breakfast in town. I don't know what to do with it. Do you have any ideas? And I said, why, yes. <laughs> Funny you like, should ask. <laughs> I, I, would like, <laughs> I would like to bring writers. And she said, well, if you think you can do it, you know, you can use the space for, say, at the beginning, it was just a month out of the year. And so we, we started and that's, you know, yeah. That was an incredible experience for me you, as well. Yeah. For you absolutely well. just the space that you shaped and held was amazing. I was working on my first book then and I, I wrote two chapters and a poem for it when I was there. And, and again, it was that experience of just tapping into something else. It didn't feel like something I would normally write. And I was, yeah, but the, the camaraderie around that dinner table was such a joy, such a gift and a joy. I'm still in touch with, with a good number of them. And I'm grateful to still be in touch with you. Mm -hmm. I remember we had a wonderful phone call when you were going out on the Saltworks project. Mm -hmm. And time just disappeared. 
<laughs> I was in Utah. Yeah. You'd just gotten there with your son. Yes. So, yeah. let's see. These segues are interesting. I'm going to have yeah. to work on the segues. Where did you get the music for your uh, for Evening's Kingdom, by the way? Oh, there's a website called premiumbeats.com. And you subscribe and you get five tracks a month. And the composers give the layers to the songs. So you can use a whole song. You can break it out to all its little tiny pieces, like just an instrumental sound or, or like um, a lower current to the song. And so with five songs a month, I, I had a pretty good sized library. Yeah, you're a musician. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, what makes you procrastinate? Fear. Fear that um, it's not going to be good enough. Um, fear that uh, it won't be seen. You know, all these kind of judgments on what I want it to be even before I even start to make it. It's such a savaging of the self. You know, I've really just tried to get myself what I teach in devotion to writing is like when we have a creative idea, our responsibility is to that creative idea. It's to honor what that wants to be, what it becomes, what it does, who sees it. If it's recognized any awards or accolades, we're not responsible for any of that. But, you know, I tell myself that, because I often, as you know, I procrastinate out of just fear. Like I, I'm, I'm not going to be up to the task. So I just have to remind myself that I'm there for that creative moment and nothing else. At what stage in the project do you usually have the fear? Probably when I am about to put it into form. So into a book form or in, put it up on the you know, put it up on social media. Uh, I guess that's the moment when I <laughs> am often. So I'm pretty free in creating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when it has to go out into the world, it's like, ah, uh, is it ready? I kind of want to hold it back. Maybe I could do a little bit more. I'm a, I mean, I am a, from my, my own, I think I'm a notorious editor. I will edit, uh, I will do, you know, dozens and dozens of drafts of a poem. Yeah, you have to. Before I put it anywhere and I won't show anybody. And then at times, you know, sometimes we're going back to that energy thing. Sometimes the energy's dead. I, I, Mm. it's dead before I put anything out there. And then, so I guess for me, it's fear. And I'd love, you know, that's the one I always am working on. Like maybe just put it out there, put it out there, put it out there, just put it out there and it, it'll be what it is. If, if someone thinks it's not good, so what? I don't know. You can only do the best you can. Right. And I guess I try to, I remind myself of that, but it doesn't mean the fear doesn't come up um, almost <laughs> every time, you know? Yeah. So. Your Instagram page is beautiful. And, you know, you do, it seems like you push yourself to put things out often. That, does that help with the fear? Yes, that's a lovely part of a practice too. You know, I think social media has, for me, it's kind of when I decided to start putting things on social media, it was a, at first I did have that fear and I still do uh, sometimes before I post, but I love that, that there's this, there's, there is a platform there for you to have an, you know, for this art to make an appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's freeing. 
in a way. I can just kind of put it out and let it go. You know, it's like breathing. And that's how I want my work to be anyway. I, if we hold on to it, we're just, you know, we're killing it or it's dying. It, it needs to, you know, I read, uh, gosh, am I going to remember the name of the book? The Gift by Lewis Hyde. Um, there is another book called The Gift, so not to be confused with it, but the gift by Lewis Hyde is, is about this kind of transaction that takes place uh, with, with creativity, with creative expression. And it has to keep going. We have to, we get the divine idea or we get the idea. We have to give it form and we have to let it go into the world to be received by someone because that's what completes the cycle. And if we don't do that, then this, this gift, this, you know, wherever it comes from, um, wherever these ideas come from, they, they die or they move on. Um, so we have to kind of keep them circulating. I love that because it almost seems biological, right? Like the life cycle, <laughs> like, like a bot fly, <laughs> but it's the world of ideas. And it's it so is. Fun. I mean, it's yeah. like we're, 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 we're an organism. We're, we're growing, we're flowering, we're, um, we're, we're constantly becoming. So if we're not, then we're stagnating, mm -hmm. you know? You know, to the, your point of the fear, I have to back up a bit to get around to this, but a friend recently we were talking about, my, my fear more comes in, in sharing the work too. Not so much creating it, but like, I, I get really uncomfortable uh, promoting myself. And he's like, I was told to think about it as if, you create a persona and just share from that persona. Mm -hmm. And then I recognized that the persona I would probably be using for Evening's Kingdom is just somebody who's uh, holding space for people to come and feel free and enchanted and inspired. And that's wonderful. Nobody's going to be bothered by me saying like, hey, I made this place for you to come and be and feel good. <laughs> Exactly. And, yeah. And you just, you're just saying, here you go. Enjoy. It's like giving somebody a flower. And that brings me to your point where, you know, the flower, it just blooms because that's what it's doing. All we have to do is just let ourselves bloom. That's it. It doesn't have to be for anything. You just bloom. Uh, yes. It could be that easy. It could. It could. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh -huh. um, you know, I, you say um, either either pre or post uh, one of your stories, and I don't remember which part of the book it was, but that you didn't like your voice or that you were afraid, you know, to put your voice out there because of some things that were said. And um, I'm so glad that you have gotten over that because you have a wonderful voice to listen to. It is so beautiful and Aww. mesmerizing. So... Um, but what a thing to come those it's not easy to overcome our you know our hang-ups about things and I hope hang-up isn't like diminishing you know what you've had to struggle with but no it's not and it, it's funny because even now like thank you that's very kind but yet I hear what was said in the, my other ear as you're saying that so I mean it's difficult there there are scripts and we can make ourselves small within them or we can just let them go and it's not going to be the same every day <laughs> but thank you that's really nice of you to say well we do and make so ourselves glad. small i think that's why for me it's so important the, the work that i'm doing devotion to writing because i 
I really, I feel passionate, not just passionate, it gives me joy to help and to work with people to write, to tell their story, to hear their stories. I think because going back to your story about with you and, and hearing that, you know, your voice and then in your ear still, when I was young and I started writing music, I mentioned that after I stopped playing this imaginary football league, I started to write music and I didn't play any instruments, but I did all the instruments with my mouth as well as, you know, the lyrics so to me, an instrument wasn't really necessary. I was kind of like Bobby McFerrin. <laughs> but I was maybe 10 or 11 at the time. And I wanted to give a concert. And I made tickets and I had posters and I was going to do it. I was going to go out my bedroom. I had a flat roof out of, the, out of my bedroom. And I was going to come out through the window onto the flat roof. And I would have below in the backyard all the chairs set up. And I was, wanted to invite the, na- the neighborhood to hear my songs. And I told my mother this idea and her response was, I mean, I, I understand in hindsight, she wanted to protect me of, from embarrassment or her, you know, whatever it was, but she said, you know, who's going to come to that? Oh, wow. And I feel it now, even telling the story, it, it shut me down. I stopped. I, t- I tore up the tickets. I never oh. did the concert and I stopped singing. For years, I kept, I still wrote songs, but I, I kept them and I didn't share them with anyone. And I still hear whenever I'm going to do anything, when I'm going to do my workshops, when I'm going to put a book out, um, I think, who's going to come to that? (sighs) And it is, I have to overcome it every time. And I know, again, the harm wasn't meant to be that but it's what it was for that boy and uh yeah we all have something we're trying to overcome all of us yeah Yeah. and words are so powerful yeah you can curse somebody with something you just say in passing that will haunt them for decades or you can bless them i'm sure we've done both Mm -hmm. thank you for powering through that fear (laughs) that's a big one yeah. So to this. help anyone power through those fears for me is, you know, that is a, such a, it's a, I feel blessed that I have been drawn to do, you know, this, this work that I feel like I'm now stepping into. Um, you know, I feel like it's kind of the work that is part of the reason I'm here. And it's what I want to, you know, give myself to for the, you know, remainder of the time I have here. Holding these workshops. Yeah helping people write and, you know, as well as my own personal, you know, spiritual and creative growth, but to help others um, on their creative journeys. So I haven't ever attended one of your workshops. The Noepe experience was, was different from that. Can you tell us what those are like and any upcoming adventures you have? Sure. So devotion to writing is what I call it. Devotion to writing.com is the website and It's really based on my own experiences of keeping myself open and creating. Um, And it's, you know, starts with the challenge that my dear friend and teacher uh, gave me many, many years ago, which is to write every day. So it's based on cultivating a daily practice, daily writing practice. It could be any creative practice. 
And then I, I use principles that are found in monastic, um, monastic practices throughout the world. It's, so it's not, it's not any denomination. It doesn't, it's not religious, but it is spiritual. But things like um, using principles, uh, for example, um, writing is prayer, writing um, surrender, doubt um, are bringing our attention and intention to our writing, to our work, um, writing as an offering, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like a sacrifice as a gift to something greater than ourselves. So, you know, I use those kind of principles to, to talk just about the creative practice and, and the, the journey that we're on. Um, and then we do, we have prompts, you know, I give prompts that are based on those things too, those principles. And, um, you know, I, I feel like it just helps people who are, cause I've met, you know, I met through Noepe and I've met in my career as a writer, I've met hundreds and hundreds of people who say, how do you do that? And what they really mean is how do I do that? How do I write? I have a story to tell. How can I do it? And so these are really just the ways that I've devised really so that I, for myself, this is how I do it. This is how I can do it. Um, and I'm just sharing that with, I feel like what I'm learning with, with others. There's also such a special energy in being with other people whose mind space goes to the same place, meditating together, or I would imagine writing and journaling together. Mm-hmm. Do you all sit around the table and work oh, together? Yes. So I do. Before the pandemic, I was teaching in person uh, in Vermont and Mexico and Italy was the kind of the big trip every year. We'd go to Orvieto, Italy. Now I've shut those down because of COVID obviously, but the, the kind of silver lining is Zoom. Boom. Mm. You know, this online community. <laughs> now I can teach, I could teach to people all over the place. And, um, and they don't have to travel and there's that, you know, that expense. So I'm doing both now. I'm resuming personal, the, the, the in-person workshops this summer on Martha's Vineyard, July and September. I don't know when this will air, so I don't know how relevant these are. And then the o- ongoing online workshops I do, you know, every, say, I do like four or five times a year, these five, six week online workshops through Zoom. Wonderful. Yeah. So what if you were 18 or 20 years old right now? What do you think you would be doing? Accounting specifically for the internet, the existence of the internet too. Oh my gosh. Wasting time. (laughs) (laughs) Wasting time. I don't know. I think if I, if, if I'm assuming I would be the, you know, if I went back in time and I was the same person I was yeah. the first time through, mm-hmm. I'd be wasting time. Yeah. Um, I wish that I would, I, you know, that's my kind of my honest answer. I wish I could say, oh, I would have this, you know, podcast or um, a YouTube videos. But I think, you know, I think I, I've had to kind of, I've had this journey. And so I am where I am now. And I, I don't know if given the technology that I would have made any better use of it if I had had it. Yeah, I think, to be honest, I'd be paralyzed too because I was so excruciatingly self-conscious. And the people who are able to just put it out there, I mean, those are the ones who would be doing well. I've thought about this. And, you know, I think Hemingway, probably instead of writing, 
he would be like a YouTube food and travel personality, you know? Frida Kahlo, she'd be all over Instagram. She'd be oversharing and shaming Diego Rivera about his <laughs> affairs. And she'd be like over, you know, it's just, it's funny to think like, we look at these people as irreducible, but you're, we're all a product of our times. And right now, everything is changing so fast. There's all these incredible mediums that didn't exist. It's really exciting. Yeah, that's lovely. What a, what a fun practice to think about what others would have done with social media. That's, a, that's fascinating. Yeah. I'd love to hear more of those from you. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll have to text you when they come to mind. <laughs> same, same. It's, it's neat, though, to look at a mind. And, yeah. and I think it would have been lost on me because I was lost on me so um that's what it would have been not in a bad situation I was just doing my thing and I was not Uh, very you know I was unconscious and periodically I would have a conscious moment but you know it's take it's taken me it's taken me a long time to grow up yeah I have a lot of unconscious moments sometimes (laughs) that's amazing like being lost on yourself I love that there's a poem in that (laughs) also do you have any regrets I do not. Fuck yeah. I, I do not. <laughs> I don't really look at the past. I'm not really big on on looking at my past. Mm. Um, I've had a really amazing life. And, you know, the good and the bad. So it's all part of who I am. And without any of the, you know, say the negative things, I wouldn't be where I am now. So I, I don't, I don't have any regrets. And yeah, I don't. That's wonderful. I thought about that because I was like, gosh, you know, come up with something. But I don't. No, that's a that's a brilliant thing. And then that's a gift, too, as a father for your kids to know you have no regrets. I mean, I always wish I traveled more, but it's not a regret because I still travel. You know, I still go. (laughs) There's never enough. One life is never enough. enough. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, there are things I wish I was better at but that's not really a regret it's just not my it's just not how I'm built so I can't do anything about those well and with luck life is long you know so maybe those are things yet to come yeah yeah do you have um any mottos or goals for the year any phrases that you live by I do I will give you one but I I think my goal is continue constant is just to continue to open to be Mm -hmm. more open I was going to say happy but I feel like that's such a you know the expectation of happiness is really not realistic um in that it's like a pressure to be happy we can be a lot of things it doesn't I mean just doesn't have to be happy so I guess I I ruled out happy um I think happiness would be a byproduct of just kind of me continuing to kind of be in balance and creating and um and opening that sense of opening for me has has been really consistent for a number of years now here's the here's the mantra that i wanted to share that um i keep in my mind is god is lavish unfailing abundance the rich omnipresent substance of the universe this all-providing source of infinite prosperity is individualized as me. I felt my heartbeat slow down. 
That's I felt my heartbeat quicken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just want to kind of keep in mind that um, that what I'm a part of is abundance. And I've been doing this meditation where I kind of sit and just feel and remember and just let it come up quite organically all the things that have in my life. You know, I'm 52 now. All of the things that I have encountered, all the people and the places, and just let that abundance and that uh, love uh, overwhelm me. And to, to, to try to kind of sit in everything that has been, I, it's just so for, easy for me at that, in those moments when I'm doing that practice to feel that rush of abundance. Like, wow, all that it has taken all the support, all the love, all of the beauty that has been in my life, it's, it's overwhelming. <laughs> it's overwhelming. And, I, and then how can I not feel the lavishness of that? It has been nothing but lavish. Lavish is a beautiful word, too. Oh, it's <laughs> like being it is buttered. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's so <laughs> sensuous. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for that. That beauty. Uh, if I could sit in that, that that's where I would want to be. That would be what we had talked about earlier. That would be, that's the silence. I don't think I would need to say anything and do anything more. Justin, this has been such an experience. Thank you so much for holding theater of mind with me. You're very welcome. I thank you so much for inviting me into this space with you. Really appreciate it. Yeah. And I encourage everyone to visit Justin on his website, justinahren.com. That's A-H-R-E-N. And to check out his books, which are amazing and deeply quieting and catalyzing a strange catechism and a machine for remembering. Justin, is there anything else you'd like listeners to check out? If they're interested in the writing, uh, the devotion to writing, they can go mm -hmm. to, to devotiontowriting.com. Devotiontowriting.com. Thank you so very much. Thank you. I look forward to next time. Me too. Hello, lovelies, and thank you so much for listening. If you are enjoying this endeavor, my friend, I have something special for you. Old school mail, that's ink and paper. Leave a five-star Apple review and send a screenshot of it to me via eveningskingdom.com and I will mail you a physical copy of the first chapter of Evening's Kingdom. Print it out just for you on lovely creamy paper and hand-signed by me in delicious fountain pen. Do you like letters as much as I do? I never realized how to review podcasts before, well, releasing this one. So here's how you do it. Please take a moment to visit Evening's Kingdom on Apple Music. Subscribe, scroll down, and click five stars. Maybe write a few words. Send me a picture of your review, and I will send you a lovely mailing. This is Paula Schmidt, and thank you for listening. Please stay tuned. More stories are just down the road.